Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Well, I had a friend back in fourth grade, and I knew that his mom was always giving him a ride to school. That's how he got there. And one day I was in the playground, and I noticed that uh, I was in the area there where you drop off the kids. And I noticed that he was coming from a couple blocks away. And I asked him, you, you didn't walk all the way to school, did you? And he said, no, I asked my mom to drop me off a couple blocks away because, I, you know, sometimes I didn't want anybody to see my mom dropping me off. And, you know, sometimes she wears that polka dotted Thing and, and then she wants to kiss me. And oh man, so, uh, you know, I, I, we know how that mom feels because we've got uh, kids that reach that age where they're a little bit um, insecure and self-conscious and they want a little distance between us and them, especially in front of the cool kids, right? And so, of course, that kind of thing is harmless, and we chalk it up to growing pains. And even as adults, sometimes we feel a little bit embarrassed to be associated with somebody for whatever reasons. It's sad, but it's not the end of the world, right? But there is one such situation where it would be the end of the world for you and for me to disassociate ourselves from a certain somebody. And that someone is Jesus, the Son of God, who will say in this morning's passage, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, whoever does not acknowledge or associate with me, I will treat that person the same way in heaven. And so what a catastrophe, right? And uh, something to be avoided at all costs, right? Can you imagine? And Jesus brings it up. He says in front of uh, the Father, in front of the angels, in front of the whole gathered universe to have God scratching his head saying, have we met? I mean, I'm not going to acknowledge you. Who are you? Because we didn't or somebody didn't acknowledge him in this life. And so that's going to be first up here as we close out chapter 10. There are four paragraphs left and, uh, and all four of them deal with the theme of how to cope well in a hostile work environment. And that's what we're doing, right? We're working unto the Lord Whatever we're doing, we're serving him, right? And so he wants us to know that in this world where there's a lot of pushback, how to be effective and productive for him. So today, 
Instead of reading through the whole passage, we'll take a bite-sized chunk at a time. We'll walk through uh, starting here uh, at verse um, 32, I believe, and uh, we'll go all the way down. And so there you have it. Verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will also disown him before my Father in heaven. And so a couple easy verses here. In Luke uh, chapter 9, we have the word ashamed there. So the same concept, only a more specific nuance of being ashamed to be associated with Jesus for whatever reason. And so, okay, note takers, here are the first of four talking points, um, going public. He wants us to keep going public, even though going public and standing next to him and being associated with him is going to bring us uh, some heat sometimes. And so the context is important. You'll remember that he was describing in graphic detail uh, the hostile work environment that I keep calling it for those who are doing the father's business. And so he's saying you're supposed to be shining the light And in dark places, that's irritating to people who are used to the dark and want to stay in the dark. And so uh, it is good news, the gospel, but it's bad news for anybody who wants to stay in their sins and run their own lives, right? And so we're supposed to be making disciples of all nations. And get this, teaching them to obey everything, underline everything that Christ commanded. And so that is why there's a little bit of pushback. But he says, listen, you're going to go out there. And he just listed, and this is the context, and it's important, uh, verses 16 through 31, which leads us to 32, right? He's been saying uh, they're going to arrest you, haul you into court, flog you, threaten to kill you, uh, hated by the world at large, and even members of your own family will betray you to the authorities. And so you might be tempted then to, because of what he just said, think, well, then I'm not going to be associated with you. I'm not going to acknowledge you. I'm not going to confess you before men. That's what he's saying, because it'll get me killed or I'll become uh, unpopular or they'll abuse me the way that they have abused you. And Jesus said, that's not how saved people behave. If you're saved and you're identified with him and Christ lives in you, there's no way that a saved person uh, can denounce Christ. He says that's for unbelievers. And tricky humans and sinful natures, the heart is so deceptive. So you have people today saying, okay, I won't denounce him, but I will denounce the words. I'll change the message so that I can still say, oh, I love Jesus. But you change the message so that you don't have to bear the consequences of the pushback. But Jesus was on to you because he says in Luke's version, if anybody's ashamed of me and my words. And so you can say, uh, I haven't denied Christ, but you can be denying his word and be in the same boat. A lot of problems there. So he said, 
disowning me, that is not saved behavior. I come with you and you acknowledge me in all your ways. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. There it is in the Old Testament. And then he'll direct your paths. And so this acknowledging him in the gym, in the school, at the family table, at the gatherings. Uh, yeah, he says, I come to work with you. And if we go back to the mom with the polka dots, you know, and I am wearing my polka dots, right? And that we get ashamed of. And uh, we don't want the kiss, <laughs> the mom and the boy. He, he was embarrassed of the affection. And yet the word worship, proskuneo, it means to kiss forward. It comes from uh, the scepter of a king going forward and, and the subject kissing in humility there, uh, the affection and submission to uh, the monarch. And so even there, it's not just, you know, if you confess, you know, Jesus is Lord and acknowledge him before men, it's the kind of love and, and the life that we lead that acknowledges him. And so strong words. I know Second Timothy has a, a song that the church used to sing in chapter two. It goes like this. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown uh, himself. He can't be anything else but faithful. And so when we have a lapse of faith, he's able to come in and be faithful still to us. What about Peter? Did he disown Jesus? Well, yeah, Peter wanted to get dropped off a couple blocks away from the high priest's courtyard there with the fire so nobody could see him associating with Jesus. He was asked three times. And three times he denied him. Right? So, but there's a difference between a lapse of faith where Jesus comes in after repentance and maybe there'd be a loss of reward. There's a difference between that and a life of refusal to acknowledge Christ because of unbelief. That is what unsaved people do. The really comforting thing is because a lot of people have caved in and compromised under fear and intimidation and peer pressure, right? You don't have to fear that Jesus is going to disown you if you're truly saved and have the Holy Spirit, but you've had some problems with that. I love the verse in 2 Timothy 2 that says, but God's truth stands firm on this foundation. The Lord knows those that belong to him. And he's able to cause us to stand. He will bring us to the end. You know, I love that, that he is able to present us blameless before the throne and finish the work that he started in us. Weaknesses and flaws and all of that combined, uh, God is able. And he says, whoever is born of God will overcome the world. And so if you're truly born of God, there's no way that you're going to denounce him publicly. And so we move on to verse 34. 
and 35 and 36, don't suppose for a moment that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Not in this sense, I didn't come to bring peace, but more like a sword. Verse 35, for I have come to turn a man's Uh, A man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And he doesn't do it with joy. He's just saying the purpose of coming is to divide out people who are on the side of truth and those who are not. Those who are for him, those who are against him. And the necessary evil is is that it will divide even at the family dinner table. It doesn't bring him any joy. It sounds he comes with a sword that is the nature of evangelism. It lays all the cards on the table and it says, choose. And three on one side, choose yes. And two on the other side, choose no. And there's hostility and there's nothing you can do about it. You will be tempted to try to, okay, so well, if it's going to cause a family problem, it's going to destroy the family unity, I might as well compromise and deny Christ and not make a big deal about it. He said, no, 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 don't do that. Keep the message the same, live your life, and accept the normative part of the gospel is division. And sometimes that happens at your own table and that the members of your own household, the nearest and dearest to you, will end up being those who are the most opposed, the most hostile, and the most vocal members of your own household. So Christianity is not for the faint of heart. He doesn't bring a feather duster. He brings a sword. So if you're the kind of person who always wants everybody happy and getting along and nobody upset with anybody and you avoid conflict at all costs, maybe you should check out Buddhism. And I am so serious because, I mean, Jesus will, serving Jesus will be a nightmare for you. Uh, Buddhism's goal is to get everybody at the table holding hands and singing kubaya or whatever it is. And uh, the, the bumper sticker of, uh, you know, coexist, right? Well, Jesus said, I'm the only way to have your sins paid for. The only way to get to the Father. And so we have to accept the pushback of that being so offensive. And so he says, your family may see you in less than positive terms. His family thought he was crazy. And there in Mark chapter three, um, they may think you're crazy. They may think you're deceived or they may think you're a traitor to the family traditions and the family religion. Remember, I told you about the one with Israel ministry and I was watching there the other day and uh, one of the guys said he told his dad listen I accepted Yeshua and Yeshua is fine but it just means Jesus but if you say the word Jesus man he told his son that he was worse than Adolf Hitler uh, for doing that kind of thing and so he says well what do I do dad or my soul and salvation and God That's the kind of situation that millions and millions of Christians face and have faced and will face 
because of the pressure in this world. When you get saved in a Muslim family or a Jehovah's Witness family or a Mormon family, what kind of pressure is that? You have to really take a stand for Christ. Jesus says it's okay to be sitting by yourself and having everybody against you. He said it's sad, but I'll give you uh, the grace to handle that. He brings a sword, meaning conflict, meaning separating things, and that's what Uh, he's talking about. Now, the Prince of Peace does come and wants us to be peacemakers. There's a blessing in that. But clearly, we make peace not at the expense of moral, morality, or at the expense of truth or the gospel, or at the expense of our relationship with God. It's not peace at any cost, right? And it's better to, this is what Jesus is saying, better to Stand with me and be at odds with your family than have everything cool with your family and be at odds with me. (laughs) That's not the way to go. And so ultimately, yes, the Old Testament prophets talked about Jesus coming. The Messiah comes to bring world peace. Well, that won't happen until first he comes with the sword, divides out who belongs to him and who doesn't. And then when he appears, then it is time for the world to have a thousand-year reign of peace and not before he reconciles the world to himself. One writer said this, wars do not cease, family unity, family disunity is not healed. The lion does not lay down with the lamb until the prince of peace is on the scene, visible for every eye to see. Having first divided out of this sinful world, those who belong to him. And so this is what we're waiting for. Peace is coming, but first, the first most important peace is to be reconciled to God. And so now some family members will be on the side of truth and some uh, family members not so much. Now here comes in verse 37, some things to think about here in light of the family problem. And here's why the family hostility and pushback is irrelevant. Verse 37, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me, and in other versions of the gospels, he says sons or daughters, is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter, yeah, there, I thought it was just in Luke, but it's here as well, uh, More than me is not worthy of me. Verse 38, and anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Wow. Verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so we'll park there now. And like I said, here's why it really doesn't matter. I mean, it's sad and terribly grievous if mom and dad are just blown out of the water. One Jewish believer said, Jesus came into our lives and blew our family apart. Well, he didn't do it on purpose or with any joy, but that can happen. And, and here's why it's irrelevant to us. We don't do anything. We don't try to fix it so much. We don't try to change it back to normal. We have to accept it. Why? Because first God, then everybody else. That's what he's saying here. And if you put mom or dad or son or daughter or anything 
in the front seat and tell Jesus to take a back seat. He says, that's unworthy of me. Can you imagine telling the Lord, Lord, you get in the back. I've got something more important here. You know, he says, that's unworthy. You can't do that with God. And I think the angels are embarrassed like they say to each other, why does he even have to tell them this? Can't they figure it out? Can't they figure out that the one who extends breath to them should be a priority to them? The one who created the universe and knit them together in their mother's womb that keeps their hearts beating, shouldn't he have preeminence? Shouldn't he be in first place above all other things? So he, the, the meaning of this verse is to uh, ultimate, uh, uh, ultimate loyalty is uh, due to Christ and given to Christ and Christ alone. And so, yeah, verse 37, of course, we honor mother and father. We love and respect and revere them, but not above God, not above God. God. Easier said than done, but it does make a lot of sense that our warmest affection and our highest devotion goes to God, our maker, the one we stand before, the one who determines our eternal destiny. Nothing before him. What's the first commandment? I am the Lord your God. Therefore, have no other gods before me. I love the way he says that. I'm the Lord. And I'm your God. I, I created you. I sustain all things. In me, the whole world holds together. Therefore, don't have any other gods. Don't love anything more than you love me. Right? And that includes your mom and your dad and your beautiful children and all of that. The front seat is reserved for God and God alone. And so... He goes on in verse 38 and 39 to kind of take down another possible contender and rival for the throne of our heart. And which darling is it? It's not our darling mom and dad or our darling son or daughter. It's our darling selves. He says he calls it finding yourself. Now, finding yourself, wow, that Jesus would coin that, you know, 2,000 years ago, Finding yourself. And it's so hip and cool to be uh, out there and so many, uh, you know, psychobabble articles and blogs about finding yourself. Uh, what does it mean? It's a big no-no to the Lord to find yourself at the expense of what God has for your life. Um, what is finding yourself? Well, I got a paragraph for you. One writer summed it up this way. Finding yourself means embracing yourself. It's okay to put yourself first, though it may seem at first a little self-centered. You only have one wild and precious life. Live it to be your happiest. You must divorce yourself from cultural and all societal views of right and wrong and every expectation except your own. Determine uh, your own values, find your own way, and become the master of your own destiny. Find your true voice and sing your true song. And when you're living for you 
and what you feel fulfilled and complete by doing, congratulations, you have found yourself. Wow. Well, Jesus wouldn't say congratulations after that. He would say, woe to you. You have found yourself. And now at the expense of God, God's will and truth. And now you have lost yourself. And so, yeah, what does it profit anybody to find themselves and get the whole world but lose your own soul? This is Jesus' point here. So he says, don't go searching for yourself outside of the scriptures and the God who made you. How could you ever even know why you're here or what will fulfill you if you don't know the one who created you in the first place? To start to know why you're here and what you should be doing is first step, come to know the one who designed you in the first place, right? Oh, I had a friend, let's call him John, because yeah, that's his name. And he worked in a corporation, made lots of money. This is many years ago. And he stayed at the company after he became a Christian and he was always sharing his faith a little bit here and there. And he had a, a, a woman supervisor who was skeptical and just kind of a little anti-gospel and always looking to say something a little bit negative and challenging to him. And one time the whole group is having lunch and then they got up to leave and she said she, she and him were having a little conversation and the way he told it was so funny. She looked into his eyes and paused and said, John, are you happy? And he said, oh, the way she said it was so, it had the whole power of the world behind it. Like, you know, the only thing that matters is not what's true, not, not what's right, but are you happy? Are you happy? Well, I remember joking to him saying, did you tell her, of course not. Of course I'm not always happy. I have to deny myself and my darling sins. I have to pick up a cross and follow him. I have to go the extra mile and turn the other cheek. And I got to love my enemies. And I got to do good to those who persecute me. And I have to clean up other people's messes and not say anything about it. And do it for the glory of God and overlook petty offenses all day long. And keep a tight rein on my tongue and he, he forbids all retaliation and getting even of course we're not happy all the time but we have joy where it counts we have a peace that is, surpasses understanding we have a destiny of eternal life in the paradise of god but no temporarily no we're not always happy but Jesus said, I'll give you a choice. Do you want to be happy temporarily now and eternally mourning? Or do you want to get your comfort? Uh, or, or do you want to, I got it backwards there, but you get the point, right? I mean, you can get your comfort now and mourn then when there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or you can mourn now for just a few more days. <laughs> For a few more moments and boom, a trumpet is going to sound. The dead 
in Christ will get their bodies, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. We shall always be with the Lord. You know, he says there in verse 38, you know, you, if, if you're not willing to renounce your life, pick up the cross and follow, you're not worthy of me. And this is another death blow to that whole prosperity preaching. He says, I want you to pick up a cross and follow. So Jesus' original audience, he, they know what he means. The men who picked up crosses in their village, they went walking away with the cross they were carrying. They never came back. They didn't come back to their lives. And so when we come to faith, we renounce and give up what's behind. We come to Jesus, everything gets put on the table. Our goals, our dreams, our relationships, our occupation, some things will stay and some things will go. Some things will remain the same and some things will change. And the things that he lets us keep and the things he adds are the true dreams, the true goals, the true desires that God, when he created us and thought us up in the first place, said, oh, no, 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 this is going to make you happy. This is going to make uh, you feel fulfilled. This is the best use of your life. And uh, those things are not possible if we don't know him and stand with him. And so the things we lose are the things we want to lose that will rob us of joy and purpose uh, for sure. And so we continue on now and finish up with verses forty. Through 42. It's not all losses and crosses. Losses and crosses lead temporarily to eternal joy, eternal happiness, a place that, yes, to answer her question, when we get there, are you happy? Yeah, <laughs> very happy. So, verse 40 He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. It's this mission, right? Verse 41, anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. The word prophet there is applied to them as men representing God and speaking on behalf of God. And so uh, just for your thinking there. And anyone who receives a righteous man, a person who's right with God, a believer, a Christian, whoever receives a Christian because he's a Christian will receive a Christian man's reward. And I'll explain that. Verse 42. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, either category, because he's my disciple in my name, because of Christian love, I tell you the truth, he's certainly not gonna lose his reward. And so... The last point here, accumulating rewards. And so, yeah, it's not all losses and crosses. There's, uh, you know, Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, up comes life and a harvest. And there's resurrection. That's the other side of this that the devil never wants to remind us about. We, we just hear a lot about losses and giving up things and crosses and pain and all of this. But, you know, it's leading somewhere. It's building something. Something's accumulating called treasures in heaven and they're storing up. So verse 40 really is saying, listen, get this first straight. 
he who receives you is receiving me. This has very little to do with you. So what that does, it, it helps us take, uh, take, not to take more credit than we deserve when there's a favorable response and not to take it all personally when there's a rejection. He's saying, through me, I am talking to that soul. God himself is speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit to that person. And that's what verse 40 is about. When they open their hearts and open their homes in this case and receive them in, he's saying, my father's speaking to them and they're responding. And that's so cool. When you do something in Jesus' name, you say something, you do a kindness, something, and you see them come to life and you see the lights starting to come on and they're responding and you know, wow, God is talking to them and awakening them through your meager effort. It's, it's pretty amazing. Remember I told you about Mike at Food for Less. I was in there and I started a conversation with him and out came, well, you know, Mike, if God is for us, who could be against us? And I was sharing the gospel with him and he stopped and he goes, what, say that again. And I said, if God is for us, who could be against us? And he's like, well, where'd you, where'd you get that? It's like, wow, that's something you would say at Thanksgiving or that, that's something I'm going to go home and say that to my girlfriend. You know, he was all excited. He was coming undone because he heard God saying, Mike, I'm for you. There's a God. And if he's for you, Mike, everything's going to be okay. And to see people, he, that's what he's saying. He who receives me, who, he who receives you, who responds at food for less and opens up and, and responds like that, it's because I'm speaking to them. That's a beautiful thing. You know, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says he's committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. That's what we do. We bring them together. Have you ever seen the, the cable TV show um, Long Lost Love? loves and we two people get uh together two people who are trying to find each other so one works with one and one works with the other and they do this whole thing and then they bring the daughter who was estranged from mom for 30 40 years and they come together for the first time and the and the people who bring them together fade out and just there's great joy. You could tell how much joy that person has and how happy they are to that person for bringing them together. That's our job. That's what he's saying here. That's what we do. And then he says about reward, let me fill you in how God is going to reward you. And it's quite equitable. I think you'll find it. Verse 41, whoever receives meaning hosts, they're itinerant preachers. Whoever opens their house and starts feeding you, accepts the Lord and, and is helping you on your way, maybe financially, providing for you, bringing other people around, facilitating opportunities, they're going to get a profit. They're going to get the reward of a disciple, of one of the 12. In other words, when you underwrite, when you support, when you enable uh, somebody with a vocational ministry, which would be the prophet, an evangelist, a pastor. You get the same reward as the person you're supporting because you're part of it. It's a shared victory. It's shared work. And you're praying, you're supporting, 
and it's a shared reward. So you, we are going to meet people in heaven with, with a commensurate, equal reward as some of the disciples because they assisted them. You know Lydia and that church in Philippi sent the Apostle Paul money time and time again, which enabled him to do what he did in the book of Acts, thanks to Lydia. And Lydia's going to receive an apostle's reward. She's enabled him. She gets the assist that Jesus is saying that's true, not only for vocational ministries like a prophet evangelist or a, a church ministry, but he says, how about for a righteous man? A righteous man is one right with God, a believer. How about when you just bless and encourage a, a, a believer just because we're supposed to build one another up and we have love for one another. He says, surely you will get a believer's reward for that, even if it's a cup of cold water. And you know he throws that in there because everybody's thinking, I can't preach, I can't teach, I don't know my Bible very well, I can't debate and do all of these things. And Jesus says, well, can you give a cup of cold water? A cup of cold water is the slightest bit, maybe a prayer a compliment, an encouraging word. I mean, there's nothing. And then I love how he phrases a cup of cold water. You, for a Christian, you will certainly not lose your reward. Why does he phrase it that way? Because we think it meant nothing. You know, he's saying when you loaned out your truck, when you cooked a meal and brought it over, when you taught a Sunday school class, when you made the church the, the coffee, Every single thing you've ever done that was a good deed, a kind deed, a, the smallest nothing of a deed, cha-ching, 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 he's keeping track of it all. He says, oh, you think it's, you know, whatever. It was just a little thing. He says, no, you certainly will not lose that reward. It's being applied. And why? You know at Christmas time, mom and dad, the joy of having the kids come down, you wanted to blow out that living room. We would fill the living room until you couldn't walk in it with presents on Christmas Eve just for the joy of seeing those kids come down the steps and go, what? What? That brought a lot of joy. And you don't think that's in the father's heart? He wants your... <laughs> area under your tree to be loaded with what? And you're, be, you, you're going to be astounded because he's keeping track of every cup of cold water, every little prayer, every little word. Wow, it's easy. It's easy to be a millionaire in heaven. It just isn't going to take a lot because he wants you to be rich with rewards. He's making it easy. And so... And there you have it, a hostile work environment indeed. But he says, you, friends of mine, I want you to, to keep at it. Keep going public, acknowledging Jesus in all of our ways, despite the intimidation. Number two, keep taking sides, choosing sides with Jesus, even if it upsets the family dynamic. And three, keep choosing loyalties we, you know, we need to put God in, our, in his place, and that's the problem. We put God in our place, right, we, or his place. We're just, yeah, moving on. <laughs> Number three, 
Keep choosing loyalties. I already said that. Number four, keep accumulating reward. That's what he wants. Keep supporting the work of the Lord. And remember this verse. I love it. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that the labor, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray together. Father God, we're so thankful for you. And we'll gladly put up with it, God, and we'll gladly stand next to a polka-dotted cross because it's polka-dotted with the color red from your blood that was spilled. How could we ever be ashamed of a God who would come down and endure what you endured for us? That inspires us to, to take a verbal beating and be mocked and lose whatever, pick up our crosses and follow for the love that you have shown us. We want to walk worthy of that love. Help us not compromise or keep in or let the world intimidate us, God, but to shine bright for and live uh, in your power and because of your grace for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 